It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 206, with Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com and Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. This week, AI is smart and dumb, robots can be cute, and pass keys. Hey, Gary, how's it going? Oh, uh, pretty good. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, just finally completely recovered from my COVID shot. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, just, uh, boy, I can't believe this is the sixth shot I've got. I mean, six. I think, think. that the cards have, the cards either had four or five spots. Right. But I think they only had four, the one I had had like four. So like the fifth one was just like written below. And then this one, they told you, you don't even bring it anymore. Yeah, don't bother. And, yeah. Yeah. And this is the sixth one. And, uh, and it was just as horrible for me as the other five. Um, it's interesting because the other shots um, over the course of the last few years, I had absolutely no reaction, none whatsoever. But this one, um, the, the night uh, of the day that I took it, I developed a fever and chills um, as yeah. I was in bed. And then the next day I was just wiped out. Welcome and, to my world. Yes. And then, then the day after that, I was fine. Right. It was very, it was very fast and furious. Um, but yeah. And I'm hearing that from more people. Uh, apparently this one, for whatever reason, um, is, is affecting more people when they get it. Fortunately, I planned ahead and made sure that I did it on a day where the next two mm -hmm. days were kind of optional anyway. Yeah, that's what I did. And uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of kicking myself uh, just being like a science-minded person, not trying, because I've been always doing the Pfizer shot. And technically, Moderna shouldn't have made a difference. But I still was like, oh, it would have been an interesting test, you know, as I'm lying there with like aches and a headache and stuff. It would be like, it would have been an interesting test to have taken Moderna <laughs> this time just right. to see right you know and then maybe started like hey oh let me start a record here and like 10 years from now when i'm on my you know 20th shot or whatever it is be like <laughs> let me let's look at the record and compare the little you know <laughs> levels of pain for each one although there is actually a new one now that's uh has is slightly different um in its composition and how it actually works uh still the same reaction right it, the whole thing is to get an immune response Right. Um, so it's still doing that, but uh, the way it gets that immune response is slightly different. Uh, so, um, and, it, and it actually, I didn't even know about it till after I took the shot and it's mm -hmm. not very widely available, but by next time that might be available too. And there might be some more data as to whether or not you know, the same percentage of people have these kinds of like, you know, it, it's weird to call them reactions because usually like when you, when you go, walk in and you ask, they ask you, oh, do you get reactions to these shots? It's a difference between like an allergic reaction to like a shot, like, you know, getting a flu shot or something, something they need to know about and just, you know, oh, it just makes me feel bad. Like right. I feel the immune response very well. Like, you know, it's like, eh, that's different. It's like, so yeah, so I call it a reaction, but it's not to be confused with the type of reaction that would prevent you from taking the shot in the first place. Well, and there's another type of reaction that I think of is that is, you know, um, how sore does your arm get the next day? Yes, and that is that, like a different thing. It's yeah. a different reaction again. And again, um, in the past, I've had no reaction of that type either, except for this one. Uh, it was kind of interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, what? yeah. My wife's always had bad arm soreness from it. Mm -hmm. Yep, and not had any of the problem right. with the, you know, with the aches and pains like I do. So, yeah. But I always get very little arm soreness. I'm right. like, I'll trade you. 
<laughs> make, make the arm, you know, the sore and yeah. Wow. Now, I may have been asking for it because I actually got my flu shot and my um, COVID shot at the same time. Right. Which but, isn't, I don't know if that's supposed to make a difference. I did get my flu shot about three weeks ago right. when it, when it uh, became available and it was just that, you know, it's easy to do. So I was like, oh, I must well get that out of the way because I did. They didn't have a time yet for like when you'd be able to get the COVID shots. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want it to be the kind of thing where it was like, oh, it was long, took, took months or whatever. And then I was putting off the flu shot. So I just got the flu shot separately. Yeah. I actually had my B12 shot on the same day. So it's like, you know, I'm a pincushion today. Hey, you know, one of the things that I did um, take heart in was like almost like a day or two later, um, there was a headline in, I think it was the New York Times that said, you know, if you have a reaction, uh, like, you know, the the you know bad day, next day, that kind of stuff, yeah. um, that's a sign that it's working. Yeah. So I said, okay, fine. Yep. I'll, I'll just, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll run with that. <laughs> so. Sure. So, oh, so I, before we get into anything new, <laughs> I, uh, I got to tell of, uh, our listeners about what happened after we finished the last show. Because in the last show, we talked about uh, using AI just to generate a summary for the episode, which right. we did do. Um, and by you did it. <laughs> I tried to do it. Uh, and the first thing that I hit, uh, it, it, this was like just just an experiment for I had a couple of minutes. First thing that I hit was that the transcript was too long, right? Yeah. I think you had said, yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. I think I think I know how to do this. I think I just tell uh, ChatGPT, hey, this is going to be in two parts. Here's the first part. And then it should say, oh, great. Give me the second part. And then you give it the second part. And then it says, all right, let me uh, generate the uh, summary for you. I found out pretty quickly, that's not how you do it, right? You feed a file using some of the more advanced functionality into it, which I didn't do. But that's, this, that's not... The whole thing. What what happened was in trying to formulate the language where I had it ask me for the second part, it misunderstood me. So one of the times I tried, I said, "Here's the first part," and I, whatever vocabulary I used, and I pasted the first half in, and I sent it. And instead of asking me for the second part or just generating a summary of only the first half, which is what it did before, it misunderstood and continued the podcast. As in, it picked up from the it picked up from the middle of the transcript, and it continued saying, "Wow, saying Leo colon and Gary colon, and what we would say." And and I wish I would have saved it. I didn't save it because it freaked me out. Actually, <laughs> I, I probably still maybe I do have it because it, actually, it, Chat GPT keeps your history. Yeah, what am I saying? I don't. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I, sometimes I clear that, but I don't think I did. <laughs> And um, let's see, transcript part one summary. Uh, let's see, did it do it? Let's see. No, that's because the thing is, it's really long, like even half the transcript. Right. Um, oh, yeah, here it is. Uh, let's see. It's funny. Here it is. Okay, so it finished, it finished uh, like the half, just a random halfway point. Mm -hmm. um, we were talking about the car, putting an air tag in the car. Right. And so it was like, um, uh, you know, right in the middle of that, uh, let's see. And I, I mentioned that, oh yeah, my dog, I have one attached right. to my dog. Right, right, right. I worked through the time and you re replied, hmm. 
And then ChatGPT picked it up saying, Gary, and maybe it will recognize that as another safe zone for your items, blah, blah, blah. It's fairly typical stuff. And you, and then you respond, right, right. <laughs> and one of the things that has been suggested, of course, is actually just do that. Grab a couple of air tags and do some real world testing. And then I respond, the virtual AI me, that's probably the best way to approach it. Do some tests, you know, maybe even intentionally lose the vehicle, as in have someone take it without you knowing exactly where and try tracking it. Get a real feel for how effective this might be in a worst case scenario. I, I didn't that's, suggest that. That's kind of spooky. And that is actually something I should have suggested. It's a really good idea. That's a good <laughs> idea. That's like a better me than me. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. And what, so I read that and then you re respond exactly. Well, I appreciate the insight. So at that point, it kind of freaked me out. And I was like, oh, my God, it's continuing our thoughts and I hit stop because it was going to just keep going. Right. Uh, hit stop. And I, I went away from that window and I let you do the <laughs> summary thing. And I think I turned, I think I actually put my computer asleep and walked, took the dog for a walk. Like immediately. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's blowing my mind. I'm out of here. That's kind oh. of really weird. Now I, I'm going to jump ahead in our agenda here because sure. it ties in and we can get this out of the way. Yeah. Um, we had talked in the past about like, wouldn't it be neat to have like a podcast co-host that was chat GPT? Right. And um, so a friend of mine who I, I was talking to in another meeting um, actually has done that. But better than that, he runs a uh, podcast called What the If? And it's a science podcast. And he'll interview scientists about things. So instead of, oh, he's not going to do it this week because he doesn't have an interview lined up. He started using ChatGPT, asking ChatGPT to impersonate somebody or something mm -hmm. and giving it a lot of instructions mm -hmm. and then giving it all the questions and then not only getting the answers as, as if ChatGPT is that person, but then feeding it through the 11 labs voice simulator that we've also talked about many times, right? making a custom voice that either imitates that, you know, if there's a real world person. Right. Uh, like he did, he, well, he did Mr. Spock. And so he got, took samples of Leonard Nimoy as Spock and, right. and has a voice. So it actually sounds like he's interviewing him. He even does a really clever thing. He has, uh, he, when he records, he takes the audio from the, from 11 labs and plays it into the podcast recording with his microphone mixed in. So you can hear him say, uh-huh. Oh, interesting. You know, in while the voice is talking. Wow. And he, he interviewed, um, uh, let's see, yeah, I think his first was Ada Lovelace, which is uh, you know, one of my heroes, and mm -hmm. um, also Hal, the Hal 9000 about AI. <laughs> um, so some interesting stuff. So we'll have a link to that. I, I didn't listen to this episode, but he has one where he starts interviewing a replicant, or no, he starts interviewing the head of the Tyrell Corporation from Blade Runner. Okay. About AI. And in the middle of the interview, a replicant comes in and kills Tyrell. And he continues the interview asking the replicant if if he could ask it a few questions. That's so, wow. Yeah. So that's that's really cool. And of course, you know, uh, it's like, oh, why didn't I jump on that? You know, I had the idea, do it first. But also, um, 
you know, the idea is like, wow, I'd love to, I mean, I'd love to inter interview Benjamin Franklin about things, right? interview, you know, because there's certain people in history where there's a ton of information out there. Yes. Them, right. Yes. So somebody like Benjamin Franklin, who not only wrote his own, you know, autobiography, but uh, other people have written so much about him and he wrote constantly during his lifetime, you mm -hmm. know, uh, and there are other figures like that where there's a ton of information. So the simulation would actually probably be pretty accurate as right. to you know what they would say in response to questions that would be a cool history podcast interviews with historical figures interviews with the dead yes yeah anyway. <laughs> that is pretty fascinating um yeah uh, i'm gonna have to listen to some of those episodes i like the concept yep. and so my you know that's always is very cool and cutting edge gosh now i'm going to bring up as a more much more mundane use of AI um if there is yeah it's funny uh, you know a year ago this would have been a really exciting use of AI but AI has progressed so much that <laughs> what I'm going to discuss is is uh, very very mundane in comparison what I did and, and I'm going to share a uh, a video that I recorded for my patrons uh, it's been shared with them, but I will also share it exclusively for TEH listeners. Um, and it's what it is. It's me going through and refreshing one of my older articles using uh, some of the AI tools I have available. Uh, ChatGPT, of course, being one of them. And what's interesting about it is that it ends up uh, doing a lot of different things um, along the way. So I use it to uh, give it give the article a new, uh, more I, what I call clickable title. Mm -hmm. I have ChatGPT uh, draft me a summary, which I then uh, you know edit. Uh, and I don't take I, I take almost nothing from ChatGPT verbatim because it's not me. It's it just mm -hmm. doesn't sound like me. But I definitely you know will use it for ideas and drafts and so forth. Sure. Um, yeah. I use it to generate some ideas for a uh, an image for the for the article. Uh, sometimes I, this is something that I just I don't have that creative spark. I can't I, I come up with ideas for images sometimes. Sometimes the articles are easy. Sometimes it's very obvious what the image should be. But especially when the articles are a little bit more conceptual in nature, I kind of stumble on generating ideas. Uh, Chat GPT does not stumble. And it actually comes up with um, a lot of ideas, not all of which are good or not all of which call to me. But I'll ask it, you know, give me, um, uh, you know, five conceptual concepts for a YouTube thumbnail. Uh -huh. And it does. It just tells me in words what I should do. Then um, I take one of its suggestions and I copy paste it into a different chat GPT conversation, which is with the doll E image generator, which then basically realizes the, uh, the concept into an image actually into four images. And then I can choose which one of those looks good to me. What was funny about it is that the images that Dal E was generating were all square. I think they were like 1024 by 1024. But my standard image size for header images on my article is rectangular. So I brought up the square image in Photoshop, which now has something called generative expand. So right. I can take that square image and tell Photoshop to make it rectangular 
not by cropping it down to something smaller, but by actually generating and filling in uh, mm. the right and the left of the image to make it rectangular. Um, and the image that happened to come through, it did a spectacular job. It was really, really good um, rectangular image. But these are, in my in my thinking, some of the more currently practical ways that uh, some of these AI tools can really end up adding a lot of value to uh, people who are creating content. It's not replacing uh, me in any way, shape, or form. I'm still me. And I still end up, you know, um, editing or writing or coming up with the ideas or answering the questions and so forth. But uh, it's a wonderful tool for places where I have weakness, like image idea generation. Uh, mm. It's a wonderful tool for uh, when, you know, what I have isn't quite what I want, turning a square image into a rectangle. Um, and just sort of aiding the process and, you know, making the process a little bit more efficient. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, make sure that I remember to uh, bring those tools to bear a little bit more often when I go through some, especially some of the older articles uh, where I'm not necessarily uh, writing everything from scratch anyway. But it was fun. Like I said, so there'll be a link. It'll be a link to a plain old MP4. So if you click on it, um, it'll just play in your browser. If you can download it, if you want, it's 22 minutes long. Um, so it takes a little while to, to where I walk through this entire process, but you can see it happening step by step. It's kind of cool. I enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Boy, we we're finding more and more uses for all of this. <laughs> um, and I saw some of Adobe's stuff this week. Adobe had its big like conference, right? You know, so yes. they they've been showing all stuff. Like, have you seen that dress that? I don't know why that's making big news, um, but the dress that can change, like each part of the dress is a different, can be a different color mm -hmm. and all this. And it seems like it's like, part of me is like, oh, neat. But also what, didn't they have that like 10 years ago? I mean, but I guess not, I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah, for the first thing I thought of is, you know, that old um, uh, controversy a few years ago of, of whether the dress was gold oh, or yes. blue or something like that. <laughs> yeah, this was like a just, you know, that basically you could change to two different colors, but it could form patterns and do it like in real time. Right, um, right. And it looked neat, but they also showed off a lot of the, the lot of the generative AI stuff, some of which we've already played with because it's been beta, but <laughs> also showing a lot of really cool demos of it. Uh, mm -hmm. I've seen a few, a few things have hit my, I guess, advertising streams, various things I've seen that know that, oh, I'd be, you know, somebody Adobe to show it to this guy. Um, and it's been, uh, you know, oh, like how advertise, you know, people creating images and saying, oh, they don't have like the perfect image for this. And here's how it can expand either horizontally, vertically. Um, I saw one influencer even use it uh, as a paid advertisement to expand something um, that was like vertical video. Oh, the, the, it was strange. It was horizontal video. And doesn't it, isn't it annoy you when horizontal video looks horrible because most of the platforms now are vertical video? Yeah. I was like, oh, forehead slap. You know, it's like, no, you're supposed to upset you that vertical video looks horrible and horizontal. Not that horizontal right. looks bad on vertical, <laughs> but okay. But they actually used the vertical, um, that to expand the horizontal image vertically and all that. So yeah, really uh, cool stuff. And I, I keep meaning to go back in and play around more with um, some of the Adobe stuff since I have, you know, the Creative Cloud stuff. Uh, I did want to bring up uh, when you were talking about your uh, little mishap uh, yeah. summarizing the, uh, uh, the uh, last week's podcast. I ended up doing it using a completely different tool. Um, it's a tool that I got from, I think it was signed up for on AppSumo 
uh, one yeah. of those um, deals that they have every once in a while. It's called Cast Magic, and it's actually targeted exactly at podcasts. And what you end up doing is you take the audio of your podcast and you feed it to Cast Magic, and then it, for one thing, it generates a transcript. And I right. think that might be the transcript that I then gave to you for you to play with. Yeah. Um, but then it also does. It does a summary, it does bullet points, it does uh, social media things, it does audio, it suggests audio clips. Um, and there's just a whole bunch of stuff that uh, they're just bringing a lot of AI to bear on the content of it. And you know what they're doing, right? They're just, they're first doing um, voice to text and yeah. then analyzing the, the, the heck out of it. Um, but if I have the opportunity, I'll do the same with uh, today's podcast. And I think the link that I shared with you is actually a link that I can share publicly. And it might be interesting for our listener to be able to uh, to have a look at what some of this stuff uh, looks like when it gets generated. Yeah, definitely. And, and continuing with our AI theme here, <laughs> um, I, I noticed two. there were two articles, two separate articles that both have the same basic idea. One uh, was an article at IEEE.org about a Disney robot. So uh, there's video at, on this article of basically Disney has a team working on robots and AI. And what, the, what Disney brings to it is the you know, idea of, of crossing the uncanny valley by right. not making them look more human, but making them look like cute, adorable robots. And this one that they created looks a lot like Wally from the movie sure. and, uh, and acts a lot like that. So as it moves around, you know, it's a squat little thing. It moves around. It really, you know, kind of shrugs and tilts the head back and forth and acts excited and does all this stuff to basically use uh, emotion to convey things um, just in simple movements, right? Which really disarms you and makes it feel not as cold as, you right. know, a robot just moving forward to, to perform a task, you know, feels like a real little living creature there. And you know, if you watch it, it's it's just really interesting seeing it, um, uh, you know, work and and all that. And I'm like, yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, it makes this is a really good use of, uh, you know, something like you know Disney's anim animated or animatronic team, you know, to be able to come in and say, you know, we have this talent here. This is what right. we can add to it. I did um, look at that, the article and it it did say, you know, what Disney brings to the table is they know how to make things emote. Exactly. Um, Emoting. And, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. 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 And then there was another story uh, uh, wired about a, a diplomacy playing robot, diplomacy, the game, which I've never played, but I've heard of before, you know, it's some sort of really high level thinking risk type game. Um, <laughs> and somebody created an AI bot that can basically play this game uh, and it does very well at it. And you you play it by having conversations with people. And basically, you know, like the name implies there's diplomacy and you're trying to, uh, you know, win this world domination game uh, by convincing people to align with you or fighting people, whatever you're doing. Um, and they, the strategy that the AI bot takes is not to be vicious at all, but to be very nice. And um to actually, you know, the thinking was that, oh, it's a seven player game. Six players are going to team up immediately against the player they know is an AI um, because that's what humans would do. But the AI is so nice that it was very easy for the human players to want to team up with it. And even when human players lost to it, 
they still had a very high opinion of the AI, which is a typical thing apparently in the game itself is, is you could lose to somebody and say, boy, they were ruthless. Or you could lose to them and say, ah, I don't mind losing to them. They played a good game. You know, I really felt that they, you know, outmaneuvered me or whatever. And this is what the AI was doing. So it's actually being very nice, polite, nice language, wasn't trying to be vicious, wasn't trying to be ultraviolent or anything. And it's trying to attain its goals. And I read some of the like there's some lines in the article. It's a very long article, but it has and it has some lines of things that the AI said. And it was just always very apologetic about things. Like somebody would say, Your troops are near my border. And it would say, Oh, no, no, sorry about that. No, I they are on their way to this. They they won't harm you at all, you know, all this stuff, and just being very nice and oh, okay, yeah, sure, thanks. You know, that was the response. So it made me really think it's like, well, this is uh if you look at ChatGPT, ChatGPT is overly polite a lot of times. I mean, if you, is it? yeah, if you, I suppose if you tell it it's wrong, it's very that's wrong. Right. It apologizes. Yeah, yeah. If you ask it for something very bluntly, it 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 kind of uh, ignores that you asked it very bluntly for give me this now, and it'll reply with, oh sure, let me help you with that. You know that kind right. of thing, and um. And it really made me think that it's like this is a more plausible future than all of the you know sci-fi we've read, where AI can be mean and cold and heartless and stuff. Is this, it like, it, is it going to take? Is it are is AI going to take over the world eventually? But do it in such a way that we don't mind. That was kind of <laughs> like the the Wired article, you know. Um, there's there's that and and are they you know are they just sort of uh, winning our trust? So that they can um, eventually flip the bit and go and go completely evil, but we'll have been so um, enamored with them that our response will be delayed or just non-existent. <laughs> or, or, but the thing is, the smart thing is never to flip the bit. Why? It depends on the goal. Yep. Yep. If you could just be nice and control everything, right? <laughs> um, and, and I mean, there and there are some more recent things. There's a there's a web comic that I follow that's daily that has a ton of ai content in it and all of the ai just want to be friends <laughs> with humans they love humans they right. want to be friends they want new friends they want new experiences there's none of that like oh you know even the ones that say oh, i'm like way smarter than everybody in this room and uh but can i come home to beat your cat i really want to meet your cat you know that kind of thing which web comic is that it's called questionable content Oh, okay. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I pay on, uh, pay attention to that too. Yeah, yeah. So it's so you know it really makes you think that uh, I think a lot of what's happening now it could be some sort of thing where maybe AI does take over, but maybe not the way we think it does. Like maybe it's <laughs> not, <laughs> and maybe it doesn't even want to. Like it, I don't know. Maybe after we have a real AI breakthrough, maybe it's not even the kind of thing where. It takes over, but it takes over because, uh, eh, you know, why should you guys work hard? Uh, I'll, I'll do, I'll work instead. Yeah, I don't the, know. I found the Disney robot very interesting, and it made me think of a couple things. For one thing, you, you compared it to Dolly. Or I'm sorry, to Wally. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, while that's true, 
Um, it differs in one very interesting aspect, and that is that um, Wall-E is on um, tractor treads, basically. Yeah, yeah. And this is on two legs. It actually looks more like um, it's true. It's one true. of the, uh, uh, I forget the actual name, but those wa Imperial Walkers from... Um, Star Wars. Oh, like AT-ATs? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Those things where they're actually walking on two legs. And this one was walking on two legs. And at the end of the video that they supplied, they showed it walking through the woods, which yeah. I thought was absolutely fascinating because that, again, that implies a level of uh, uh, stability and responsiveness that yeah. is, heck, it's, it's difficult for people to do, sometimes much less uh, robots. What I thought interesting, though, um, because we, we talk often about the Uncanny Valley, and that's usually because we're taking a look at a uh, something that is attempting to be a human in one form mm -hmm. or another, um, and it just ain't right. But when it comes to uh, you know a WALL-E or this kind of a thing, the, the criteria for it being not quite right are basically not there. Um, the, you know, all it really has to do is emote. It doesn't have to look like anything we recognize. It just has to um, act and emote in a way that makes us feel comfortable. And I think it basically is one of the ways to completely sidestep, um, you know, uncanny, uncanny valley type of comparisons. Uh, for some reason, we seem to be insistent on making robots that look like humans. Yeah. And I'm not convinced that, well, I'm sure there's call for it. But I'm not sure that's the um, the most appropriate form. It's not just for all of the different tasks we might ask them to do, but also because I suspect that, uh, contrary to what people might think, I suspect that a non-human looking robot that behaves appropriately is probably more easier to accept than something that is clearly trying to be human and just not making it. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was an interesting, an interesting thing. And yes, uh, Disney absolutely knows, uh, you know, how to how to create emotions. I mean, you just need to, you know, any of their movies. The, the, the there's just so much that they're doing with simple movements, um, expressions, uh, you know, that that they just know how to get right, and that seems to have translated really, really well into this device. It's pretty impressive. I want one. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Definitely. And yeah, I think we are. I, I don't see any reason why, if we were going to have, say, a like a, a household helper robot, that mm -hmm. it would we would even want it to try to look human. Right. When we because we have you know both of us are dog lovers. We have dogs in the house. They don't look human, and that's perfectly fine. We, people have cats and other animals. Having something that's made up that doesn't look like anything in particular, like this, right. this Disney robot, it perfectly fine. I, I, but it also know. gives the the manufacturer or the creator the ability to um, uh, fine tune it for the tasks that we'll yes. end up wanting to wanting it to accomplish. Uh, so you know maybe it has four arms instead of two. Maybe it has uh, you know uh, wrists, quote unquote, that will rotate seven hundred and twenty degrees or something like that. I mean, there's, there's so many options when you throw away the uh, the attempt to model a human body. Right. Exactly. Plus, you're gonna Unless there's a big breakthrough, you're going to need a lot of space for battery. <laughs> that that was the that's the problem with that when you said it was like walking through the woods, and there's mm -hmm. been other tests like that. It's like the walking through the woods thing. You know, uh, problem one is have a robot that can walk through the woods. After you've solved that, mm -hmm. then you have to like have a battery big enough for it to survive right. without being plugged into power, long enough for that to be useful. 
industry because yeah, it's, that's I've once said that battery technology, and this has actually been proven true in recent years, but battery technology is one of those major, major leverage points in the, the growth of technology uh, just because it you know, every um, order of magnitude improvement in battery technology, uh, I think, probably has an exponential effect on exactly what those batteries can be used for. Uh, you know, the car has a certain range right now. If that range were to double, that would be absolutely awesome. It would be a tipping point for me for, uh, I've talked about it before, if I, um, if the if the range were better on the um, Rivian uh, SUV, yeah. I would probably have one to be able to pull my trailer. But right now the range just isn't there. There's two ways to address that. One is to put in a bigger battery, but you're uh -huh. space constrained. And the other is to get a better battery. And that's what everybody continues to work on. Um, and I think that we'll be seeing a lot of, a lot of improvement on that in the coming years, just because it is so, um, such a leverage point for future technology. Oh, oh definitely. I mean, you could start some of the things, I mean, not just the you know robot that can a uh, hundred or five hundred thousand dollar robot that can follow you in the woods with your supplies, but it can only do it for fifteen minutes is pretty useless. <laughs> right. But but doing it for fifteen hours suddenly is very useful. Yes. And then you uh, and then you have whole new things because one of the reasons that uh, something like exoskeletons are only science fiction is because batteries. Right. You know, it's like once we can have exoskeletons first for people that would need them, they can't get around without them. But also then, you know, thinking in other sci-fi universe where you use exoskeletons to perform jobs that humans can't do, like right. heavy lifting and stuff. All that stuff is like not possible now because we don't have batteries good enough to go with the the robotic technology. The so, concept of a uh, robotic pack mule. Yeah. Um, I find fascinating just in general, but the, the scenario that you alluded to um, bringing your stuff up the trail, um, you know, that's a huge, huge yeah. win for things like search and rescue um, that all of a yeah. sudden they can, you know, basically do a lot more with fewer people and basically be more prepared once they find whoever it is they're looking for. So, Oh yeah. There's tons of, tons of uh, so many possibilities. And I'm sure people, that want to develop these things are so frustrated now because they can think of the possibilities and they can think, yeah, but none of that's possible with current battery technology. Uh, which yeah. actually that reminds me of something that I didn't include on the on the list, but um, I read earlier this week that Starlink is going to enable LTE mobile mm -hmm. phones from their satellites. The implication is that you would have cell coverage anywhere yeah um and you know, obviously anywhere with an appropriate view of the sky um which again going back to the search and rescue thing um you know is a huge huge enabler um our search and rescue team out here we use things called inreach which, which definitely allow you to do some text messaging via satellites but it's incredibly slow whereas if you've got something a little bit more appropriate um you know, going to your random cell phone, not only that, but the in-reach devices are relatively pricey. Um, if you've got something that can go to your cell phone, that then um, also enables a whole new brand of uh, connectivity that I just find, again, really exciting and really interesting. And yes, for the search and rescue, the animal search, the animal rescue group that I work with, we're already, uh, we've already got requests in for price quotes to see if, we, if it's something that we could use out in the field. Mm. But it's fascinating stuff. Looking forward to it. Yeah. 
So earlier, I think it was last week, uh, Google made an interesting announcement that they are enabling pass keys on all accounts. Mm -hmm. um, I would claim that it's just a little bit more than enabling because they're actually promoting it. I know that on uh, both of the Google accounts that I use daily, um, within a day or two, I got the pop-up that said, hey, you should use pass keys, uh, even though I already had been on both of those accounts. But um, I find it interesting, and I really think that there is so much... Pass keys are difficult to understand um, exactly how they work, um, unless you're a geek like you and me, uh, because they're actually very similar to something we've been using for the past 20 years. I think I, I think we talked about pass keys in a previous podcast. Um, but the, the ability to go completely passwordless, um, I think, is also pretty exciting um, because pass people people suck at passwords they just yeah. do um you know the those of us who are using password vaults understand that it's a level of inconvenience but it's a level of inconvenience that allows us to have passwords that are nice and long and safe and secure for now um but it's still a level of inconvenience that a lot of people just aren't willing to accept or aren't willing to trust um i think that pass keys are something that are going to, uh, once they're understood, and I think there's, there is a barrier there, once they're understood, I think they're going to be very popular to uh, for most people. Now, Apple's had passkeys for a while, haven't they? Uh, yeah, it's been, a, well, it's been available as part of like the password remembering system. Okay. You know, the, the, the password manager built into macOS. Okay. Um, it's been part of that. They actually just recently, uh, without too much fanfare, enabled it for the first thing where it really makes sense, and that's for the uh, web version of iCloud.com. So if you want to go use the web version, um, you actually, you know, you had to do uh, ID, password, and two-factor previously. Mm -hmm. They enabled with the new versions of everything that came out in the last month, uh, passkeys for it. And in fact, the first time you go to use it, uh, in the new system, it it asks you if you want to start using passkeys for this and then takes care of everything for you. You just say, you know, okay, you've just logged in and authenticated yourself anyway. And it says, okay, and then you've got passkeys from that point on. Right, Making right. It really easy, you know, a, one less step basically in going onto iCloud.com on your Mac, say. Um, one less step, but of course also much much more secure. Um, what's what's interesting is is that um so it's so it's storing it in your cross-platform password manager right so if you're logged in on multiple machines if you set up a passkey on one machine all of a sudden it's functional yes. yeah it'll be stored in your uh inside the keychain the iCloud right. keychain so yes you go to your other Mac or an iPad or something I haven't tried this yet but it should have that exact same key stored in there or does it I'm trying to remember now how well how it's interesting because work because the, the the default function for passkeys, of course, is not to uh, yeah. rely on a password manager. So if you don't have a password manager, yeah, you create a different passkey for each machine on which you sign in. So you sign in once successfully using some other technique, whatever that technique might be. And um, then all of a sudden you get your offered, okay, do you want to create a passkey and store it here in this machine? Um you can the reason it is enables passwordless is because that first time you sign in, they can 
uh, basically have you jump through higher hoops yeah. uh, to confirm that you are who you say you are, like by sending you a confirmation email or texting you a code or any number of other techniques that don't involve a password, but that still confirm you are who you say you are. Yeah. Once, you, once you've jumped through that hoop, they save a passkey to your machine. Windows, I don't think does that right now because Windows doesn't have its own password management. There's certainly password management in every browser, and I'm sure that eventually Edge will probably save uh, pass keys as well. But then you don't have the cross-platform approach. One password, and I know that some of the other password managers have started to act as a passkey repository as well. Mm -hmm. And I find that significantly I just find it significant because, like I said, then all of a sudden you create yourself a pass key on one machine, but it's stored in your uh, password vault. And then indeed you go to another machine on which you are successfully able to open your password vault and poof, you've got your pass key there and you don't have to jump through that extra high level of authentication to, um, uh, you know, to to get access to whatever site it is. So I just, like I said, I find it fascinating. I think it's interesting to see Google taking the lead on this. Um, I think there's, like I said, a lot of confusion as to exactly how or why passkeys um, are so secure. But, um, and I've got an article somewhere. In fact, I'll probably see if I can't dig up the link and include it with our show notes. But I've got an article that attempts to describe um, why passkeys are as secure as they are. Um, for any of our listeners who are familiar with the concept, um, the SSH command line tool that we use to connect to Linux boxes or other boxes um, has the ability to use public key authentication. And this is extremely analogous to exactly that, um, if not a variation on that very thing. So anyway, I just I just thought it was significant. I find it very interesting to see Google go down this path. And uh, I welcome our passkey overlords. Passkey overlords, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to have one item that was not related to computer tech. <laughs> um, and yeah, this well. is something, I think we may have mentioned this years ago. So I thought it might be worth bringing up. But uh, NASA had a project that was on its uh, its current or previous Mars mission. <laughs> I, I, I lose track of all the, the different uh robots we have moving around on mars which is um, kind of cool when you think about it that there's so many of them out there yeah. doing their thing that we can't keep track of them all but this had a, an experiment on it called moxie and the experiment was basically to uh, take in martian air which is largely uh nitrogen and carbon dioxide uh which is not very useful to us uh and but take some of that carbon dioxide and break off the uh, oxygen molecules from it mm -hmm. to make Oxygen, because mm -hmm. if you can make oxygen from what's available and I'll have to bring it with you, number one, you've got something you can breathe. Right. And, and number two, you've got rocket fuel. <laughs> so, th so those, so just the ability to be able to do that is like a huge, it's like a important part. Matter of fact, just about any science fiction story about the far future and space exploration that goes into enough detail mm -hmm. mentioned that oh yes we had to stop by saturn to grab some material to make oxygen from it that kind of thing right right um so they've been doing it and it's uh been deemed a success matter of fact they uh, generated twice as much oxygen as i guess their goal was Oops. so a green check mark 
next to that. <laughs> um, and it's not much. I, you know, it was a very small little experiment right. uh, to, to generate. The idea is, of course, we'd have to do it at scale. Right. Put equipment on Mars that would generate a lot more, but so we could breathe and fuel uh, fuel rockets that could then lift off from Mars' surface and all of that. Um, but it it works. We have that. We have that technology. Now, another piece of sci-fi technology that is currently, uh, you know, something we know how to do. That's For some cool. reason, that brings to mind um, the Bobaverse. Are you, did you read those yes. books? Yes. Oh, yeah. I was the one that recommended it to you. Yeah, I think so. And I, I read all of them uh, right away. I love them. Yeah. Um, but yes, the whole concept of that was these AI ships would go out and just, you know, mine whatever yeah. whatever they found to make whatever they needed. Um, so it's basically exactly this, except not only at scale, but at um, uh, at breadth, at both width and breadth, right? Or no, width and depth. You can make anything yeah. Um, yeah. from anything, which I thought was kind of an interesting approach. I right. do like the comment that um, Mars is the only planet in our solar system that is now completely inhabited by robots. <laughs> true. Yeah. Very true population 17 robots or whatever it is whatever it is we, yeah we uh and of course that kind of ties in i didn't put it here on our list but you know there was the announcement this or, or the launch this week of that mi mission to that asteroid that's uh failed planetary core mm -hmm. um that's largely metallic right so instead of an ice ball or a rock uh as we've been exploring th this one's going to be really interesting it's i guess i guess the probe gets there in 2030 um and it could be something, an extremely different type of thing that we've never explored before um, with lots of metals, basically the core of a small planet exposed uh, and just sitting there. So the other things we haven't talked about was the uh, the probe that actually returned some yes. yeah. um, rocks or dust or whatever it was from the uh, from the uh, um, asteroid, I think it was, that, that it landed on. Um, I haven't heard a lot about of the analysis uh, of what that all turned out to Probably be. Probably take a while. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. But again, I just find that another fascinating step in, um, you know, we've sent a lot of things out there. Um, bringing stuff back like this is new. Uh, and and I even with the current Mars missions, there are some out there that are actually, uh, you know, putting core samples into containers uh, in preparation for, a mission that doesn't quite exist yet that will go grab them and bring yes. them back. Yeah. And I, and, and I can, you know, I could tie, we could tie all of this together <laughs> because so, you know, the technology would be, you know, if you want to set up stuff on Mars for humans to arrive there, the idea is now we've got the technology to set stuff ahead. Mm -hmm. And some of that stuff would be robots. We already have some, but robots that would actually do things, not right. just extract oxygen, but actually build Things. Matter of fact, there was an article I also saw this week about uh, sending a possibly being able to send a robot to the moon that would process moon soil or dirt or dust or whatever to make building blocks to be able to build yep. shelters out of. Yep. So, yep. but the idea is we could send robots to Mars. They would have to, with the delay, because the speed of light, mm -hmm. they'd have to basically be somewhat autonomous. You you wouldn't control them like you would control a drone right. here on Earth. You would send it commands, tell it to do stuff, and it would make some decisions on its own. Like, oh, I'll grab this thing over here instead of that thing over there, and I'll do it this way or whatever. And then if these robots that we're going to build are going to emote because that's what we like. <laughs> um, it's it's reasonable to think that you know if NASA orders a bunch of robots 
to put into a mission to send to Mars to then slowly build something there, um, that they wouldn't say, oh, take out the emotion, you know, emoting part. They would probably just leave it in, which would mean we could eventually have these little robots kind of walking around, acting startled and surprised every time they see something new as they're building a little shelter and making oxygen and deploying solar panels and all that stuff. And that so would just have, be fascinating. I have this vision of, um, you know, a robot whose job it is, is to take moon dust or Mars dust yeah. and create the moral equivalent of Lego bricks. Sure. And then yeah. having having some other robot um, emote strongly when it happens to step on them by mistake. Step on them by mistake or just <laughs> look really pleased when it completes a section of wall, you know, and well, yeah, little, yeah, give each yeah, other high fives yeah. uh, and all of that. And then, of course, the thing is the entire deal could be funded by just one webcam that is streaming all of this back to Earth. <laughs> and then we all just are addicted to watching it, watching these little Martian robots run around and make a little base. I'd be like, "Yay! Did you watch today? Did you see? Did you see what you know? G five seven eight three did." <laughs> oh know? no, we would give them human names. They, we, they yeah. all of a sudden they would get pet names. You know, like Wally. I mean, you yeah. Know, they, so yeah. anyway, hey, right. speaking of which, speaking what have of, you been, uh, what have you been watching? Yeah, well, no, I think it's uh, <laughs> we should mention that a few weeks was it a few weeks or a month or two ago, um, a new season of Futurama dropped. Yes, uh, and you know. That's remarkable for one main reason in that it's been 10 years since the last season. Of and wasn't the last one also a, a reboot or a reboot? Yes. And the last yeah. one I think was might've been more than one season, but it was a comeback from, you know, which is, it's like, yeah, shows don't die like they used to, where they're just gone <laughs> and it's just ne uh, it's never going to happen. There's never going to be a reunion show. Like Futurama can come back and it's the same animation and it's all uh, pretty much the main voice actors are all still doing it. So exactly. yep. it really feels uh, just like a continuation, except there are a lot of, there were a lot of jokes uh, about it taking yes. 10 years. Yes. And yeah, a lot of in jokes about Hulu, yeah. uh, which Hulu, I think is kind uh, of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then a lot of jokes of, you know, trying to catch up with the things that have happened in the last 10 years, like the pandemic and, and such. Right. And trying to, and, and bits of technology and things that we have now um, that, 10 years ago, you know, they weren't new. I mean, they were new, but they weren't, you know, like they, I'm thinking the episode about Amazon, you know, or the, yes. yeah. the Mamazon or whatever, and it, it growing <laughs> in the warehouse and, and jobs and a lot of stuff like that. It's like, well, 10 years ago that had started, but the humor, you know, obviously some, one of the script writers had been taking notes <laughs> for over 10 years. <laughs> this would be good. Whenever we do get around to a new season, we need to put this in. So. Um, yeah, like you said, the shows don't die like they used to, and sometimes they don't die. Um, it reminded me, I think Futurama has now had a couple of different places that it's aired on, uh, because each time it comes back, it's a different, um, uh, you know, somebody else is funding it, basically. Yeah. And the same thing's happening, as it turns out, I think, to Star Trek, one of the Star Trek franchises, Prodigy. Don't know mm. if you you watched Prodigy. It no. was a collaboration between uh, Paramount Plus and Nickelodeon, actually, an mm -hmm. uh, uh, animated uh, version of a Star Trek uh, story. And it got canceled after its first season on Paramount Plus, and the news broke last week, I think, that it sounds like Netflix is going to pick it up. 
which again is kind of one of those things where if there's a big enough demand for it, um, given the number of streaming services and how competitive the, the landscape is right now, there are actually pretty reasonable chances for things that you really like and really you know enjoy uh, potentially getting picked up again if you make enough noise. So I was just thought that was interesting and, and kind of fell into that same um, same thing as, you know, some things just die differently than they used to. Yeah. Um, I it, So this is um, an older show that we just finished watching all four seasons of. Uh, it actually, I think, is a 2007 or 2009 show. It's called The Tudors. And it's all about essentially the reign of King Henry VIII and his uh, six wives, uh, some of whom lost their heads, uh, some of whom didn't. Uh, but I found it very fascinating. And the reason I found it fascinating is that it's a drama. It's not meant to be a documentary. However, uh, what I found myself doing repeatedly throughout the show was firing up Wikipedia and taking a look at Henry VIII's history and actually learning a fair amount about um, Henry VIII, uh, the various wives, where they came from, what happened to them, uh, the world at that time. Um, anyway, it turned out to be accidentally educational. And I just I thought that was kind of fun. It was it's a it's a beautiful show. It won all sorts of um, awards, I guess, at the time when it was out. Uh, like I said, four seasons uh, throughout uh, you know his entire reign, and uh, I just we just enjoyed it. We we really did. I didn't expect to. We we basically started it on a lark, um, just to see if it was interesting. We liked that kind of show. We just weren't sure if this would turn out to be that when we started, and it did. So yeah, the Tudors. Um, I believe it is on um, Amazon Prime. Cool. So in so. terms of blatant, absolutely blatant yeah. self-promotion, um, one of the things that I run into frequently with um, Ask Leo readers, and in fact, I've started paying attention to questions on Quora again. Have you ever paid attention to what's going on on Quora? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, two things about Quora. Sometimes I go uh, to pay attention and sometimes I groan when they show up in search results because it's like, <laughs> you know, just trying to find the question and answer on the page right? Yeah, by itself is a problem. But yeah. The, the questions on Quora tend to be very low quality. Um, yeah. I pass on so many of them because the question simply doesn't make sense or there's not nearly enough information or, you know, they clearly um, don't understand what's going on. But one of the common threads on Quora, of course, is the same common thread that you and I see in a lot of our questions, and that is lost accounts. And often it's a lost account because they've lost their phone number or they don't have an alternate email address or those kinds of things. Uh, one of the things that many accounts allow you to do is to set up recovery codes. You set those up and before you need them, they are independent of whatever else you might have in terms of SMS or add, you know, phones or second factor authenticator devices or whatever. So if you have an account that allows you to generate recovery codes, you should. But what then? How do you keep them secure? And that's the article I want to point people at. How should I keep recovery codes secure? There are a lot of really important and good ways to do that. Uh, most important that you do create them. And the second most important thing is that you keep them secure. Askleo.com slash 163590. Cool. I'll point uh, people to uh, uh, one I did called a Mac Quick Start Guide. So Every once in a while, I like to do something that's for like ultimate beginners, uh, people that have newly switched over to the Mac. Um, 
because yeah, it's, we don't do chronological things. It's not like you go back to episode one of either of our, our shows or post one and, and then start there, right? You, right. you probably come in at some point. And if, uh, if you're new to Mac, it's always good to have a recent video uh, of mine that I can point people to. So I did like, it's like a little mini course. It's almost a half hour long. Wow. One of the longest videos I've ever done, just going through really quick. Uh, and I call it quick start because it's kind of no nonsense, right? I'm not going to go and wax rhetorical about how the Mac operating system is so good. Or I just get right into it. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. Go, go, go. That kind of deal. Very nice. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, it's funny. I do get, I occasionally, <laughs> I, I think we've talked about this before. I often get the comment that my, um, articles are too complex and that they are not complex enough, right? They're too basic. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh yeah. yeah. All the yeah. time. But I do get very, what I consider to be extremely legitimate requests for, um, you know, I just, I don't get all of the things that you assume I do. How about some beginners kind of stuff? So yeah. um, this is a very valuable thing, I think, for a lot of people uh, and probably more people than you might think. It's probably for more than just beginners. So, Oh, yeah, no, I know a lot of people like to do it just because I can't help but throw tips in there. Yeah. Right. Say here's, <laughs> right. here's how you do this, this, and this. Oh, and by the way, put all the option key down, you know, yeah. and you can watch the whole thing. And if, if you come away with that one tip and that saves you a lot of time, then the half hour was well spent. Well spent. Yep. Agreed. I think that pretty much wraps us up for yet another week. The show notes for this week are out at tehpodcast.com slash teh206. If you've got a question or comment for us, be sure to leave it there. As always, thank you for listening, and we will see you here again real soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.